seats. Um, let me just uh, tell you something really exciting. We have the great privilege of having one of our commissioned missionaries with us this morning here, Christy Hughesby with Reach Global, and she is here to tell you for a few minutes about her ministry to women around the world. So, Christy, if you'd come and join us. It is really good to be with you once again. Um, I can't believe it's been two years since you commissioned me. Um, and I tried to get back here in um, last summer, and it just didn't work out with scheduling. So I'm really excited to be here today. And, you know, I'm so thankful that God is in the business of using ordinary people. Because I'm just an ordinary girl. Often I have people look at me and go, I don't know, I couldn't do what you do. You know what? I couldn't either without God. He, he's in the business of using ordinary. And he turns it, because he's an extraordinary God, he does amazing things. And I'm so thankful that um, he called me and that he's using this ordinary girl to bring light and hope to the world. Um, I was in Africa, um, holding a women's a missionary retreat. And um, these are for African women who are mis African missionaries in Kenya. And um, it was such a privilege and a special time. I was the only white girl there. And, um, but we just had such a precious, precious time with one another. And um, I was sitting with one of the I was actually having a conversation with one of the women who like, has an amazing ministry. It's just walking by faith, and you just feel, you know you're in the presence of greatness, right, when you're, you're talking with her. And she looked at me, and she said, Christy, uh, I see you. You're, you're a matchbox. And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean, a matchbox? She said, you're lighting fires all over Kenya. <laughs> I was amazed and so deeply touched by it. But that's what God does, right? He takes the ordinary and does extraordinary things. And I believe that God isn't just calling me to be a matchbox. He's called all of us who are his children, to be a matchbox, right? Um, wherever we're at. And Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise who? Your heavenly Father. God's calling all of us, not just me, to be a light on a hill, to be this matchbox, right? And I'm so thankful that he uses ordinary women. Because how far would God's love go for us? How far did it go? It went all the way to the cross.
You know, I'm so grateful, as Christy reminded us, that God uses ordinary people because there aren't any other kind. <laughs> okay? There's not like, you know, Jesus, Superman, you know, uh, some other kind of folk, and then you, right? It's just us, right? Just ordinary folks. So I want to pray for Christy and for her ministry. She gets to minister in uh, in Albania, in Kenya, and in Indonesia. Uh, two two of those places um, are very very hard. Uh, uh, Albania is former communist, and that makes it hard in a different way than the other two. Uh, Kenya is tribal, and the places that she ministers are. Um, not the edge of the earth, but you can see it from there. And uh, and uh, and then in Indonesia is predominantly Muslim country. That makes it hard in a different way. And um, and so she needs our support and our help. If you'd like to connect with Christy, uh, there's a table in the back. You can join the Grace Tribe like I have and get communications from her, opportunities to pray. Uh, I love that name, by the way. The Grace Tribe, uh, the people who have been saved by grace, who um, minister grace around the world. So, um, so let's pray for Christy, and then we'll we'll open up God's Word together. God, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you use ordinary folks, not superstars, not superheroes, not the rich or the smart, or the extraordinarily gifted but you give extraordinary gifts and extraordinary opportunities to ordinary folks that you might magnify your mercy and your grace and that and that you might be the star of the show and father we pray for christy we pray that you would help her to light fires all across the bush country of kenya all across the 1250 islands of indonesia all across the former communist Eastern Bloc. Our Father, may the gospel burn like a fire and multiply and spread until all the world knows the name of Jesus and bows in praise to Him. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we're going to flip over today to uh, the book of the New Testament book of Second Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking at chapter three and verses uh, one to five today. As you find your way there, let me ask you just a question to ponder, uh, and it's this: What is the difference between a peacetime army and an army at war? Now, I should tell you that despite my efforts to the contrary, I am not a military guy. Uh, I, have, uh, I have never spent any time downrange. I've never fired a shot in anger at anybody or been shot at. But I have some friends uh, who have, and what I can tell you based on their observations is this, is that uh, their life back home at home base bears almost no resemblance to when they're out in the field deployed. Uh, the distilled essence of that is the phrase, no combat-ready unit ever passed inspection. 
no inspection ready unit ever passed combat. And that's true. Because back home, they're, they're very concerned about inputs and about things that are observable, visible, things they can see. And so you spend a lot of time doing things like shining your boots and marching in formation and making sure everything looks good. Because that's the way peacetime officers get their promotions, is how everything looks. But when you're in combat, there's one thing that matters, and that's this. Did you effectively accomplish the mission that you were given? It doesn't matter how it looked. Another military expression, they've got a lot, some of which are not fit for public consumption. But one of them is this. If it's, if it's stupid, but it works, it's not stupid. Right? <laughs> right? They don't care how it looks. They care that it works, that we accomplish the objective that we were given. And if you did, then nobody cares if you had shine on your boots and a proper haircut and starch in your BDUs, okay? And as I think about it, what Scripture reveals to us is that there's a lot of parallels between combat and the Christian life. Lots of parallels. In fact, several of the illustrations were given in the New Testament uh, are specifically drawn from the military. But the weapons of our warfare are not the same ones, and we don't fight the same way, but we are in a war. And we must carry out the mission that has been assigned to us by our great captain in our spiritual battle against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And those beings are currently active today to hinder the spread of the gospel and as part of that, to cause us to stumble in following Christ and to get ensnared by sin and thereby discredit our testimony and limit the reach gospel. And since that's true, that should reshape the way that we think about the Christian life and we pray and how we seek God's aid in the battle in front of us. Amen? If we're at war, and we are, then we should have a wartime mindset and a wartime prayer list. A wartime prayer list. We ought to pray for things that take account of the fact that you and I are at war. And we don't have to wonder what a wartime prayer list would look like. We're given one in the Scripture that we're looking at today. Uh, so if you have your Bible, and I encourage you to always bring your Bible, but if you have your Bible, um, if you would flip over to 2 Thessalonians 3, and as you get there, if you're able, if you'd stand with me and follow along as I read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would this morning, by your Holy Spirit, impart to us a wartime mindset. 
not one that looks out in our culture and sees enemies, but one that looks out in our culture, sees victims of the enemy, and desires to reach them with the gospel. Father, help us to be effective in carrying out the actual mission that you gave us. Help us to do what you have called us to do and to seek your power and your aid and your miraculous involvement in the advancement of your cause and your mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now you'll remember that the church at Thessalonica was not confused about whether or not they were in a spiritual battle. It was their inescapable reality. Amen? They were a oppressed minority in a culture surrounded by the worship of other gods and there, and that whole culture was not only devoted to the worship of other gods, it was devoted to making money from it, and they were hostile to anyone who had expressed a new faith in Christ. Uh, hostile enough that some of the people who uh, Paul writes to in, the, in his letter to First Thessalonians, uh, the first, first letter to the Thessalonian church, First Thessalonians, He's writing about people who have put their faith in Christ and had already died by the time they get their first letter from him. This is a hostile and a persecuted group of people. Now, some of you may think that the situation in the U.S. is the same, but it's not. We aren't persecuted like that. Uh, there are, though, nevertheless, a huge number of non-Christians in this country. I don't know if you know it, but the third largest country of non-Christians is the non-Christians in the United States of America. you got China, and then India, and then the good old U.S. of A. Top three non-Christian nations in the world. There are more non-Christians in America than there are in Indonesia, believe it or not. How about that for a challenge? But we are so we are surrounded by, and we are a minority in, a non-Christian nation. And the numbers of non-Christians, by the way, are increasing. Let me give you some stats. My grandparents' generation, 75% of the people in it attended church regularly. My parents' generation, the baby boomers, uh, they attended church, 50% of them attended church regularly. My generation, the Gen Xers, uh, they attend church, about 25% of them attend church regularly. The millennials, my brother's age and, and uh, a little younger, um, about 12% of them. You know what percent of my kids' age attend church regularly? 6%. What percentage of their kids do you think will attend church? I'll bet it won't be 75. We have a tremendous challenge ahead of us. Our country is becoming increasingly non-religious. Increasingly non-Christian. We are in a battle. And if you haven't noticed, Satan is winning. And that had better change the way we pray. 
And this is how we should pray, first of all, for conversions. Look at verse 1. I love this verse. I love the way that Paul says it here. Uh, Paul says, finally, brothers, pray for us, meaning he and Silas and Timothy as ministry partners. The way he asks them to pray is fascinating. He says that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. In other words, that the gospel would go ahead of us as we go on our way. Does God do that? Yes, He does. He does it in this way. God prepares people's hearts to hear the gospel in such a way that when they hear, they believe. You know that God works in in people to bring them to faith? He does. He works ahead of you. And all He needs you to do is show up and stick your hook in the water. That's what fishers of men really looks like. God calls the fish just like He did with Peter and the coin. You remember that story? He's like, Peter, go throw your hook in the water and you'll pull out a fish that's got a coin in his mouth to go pay my temple tax and yours, right? That's what evangelism is really, is that you are going and hooking the fish that God calls to the hook. He says, pray that the, that the Word of God would, would speed ahead of us and be honored just as it was among you. That's what the word be, be honored is all about. Being honored, when you honor the Word of the Lord, you believe it and become obedient to it as a result. And that's what Paul writes that happened in Thessalonica. And he wants them to pray that the same thing will happen everywhere else they go. Paul eventually wants to go to the edge of the the then-known world. He wants to get all the way to Spain, which to me is not the edge of the earth, but it was then. He says, I want to take the Gospel as far as I can go. So pray that the Gospel will go ahead of us. That even more people will come to faith in the same way that you all did. So, you want to pray in a way that makes a spiritual difference in the battle that you're in? Pray this way. Put this, number one, on your wartime prayer list. For people to come to faith in Jesus. Maybe you might even pray something like this. God, please go ahead of me preparing lost people to hear the Gospel so that when I share with them, that they believe in Christ and then follow Him as His disciples. You know, the Great Commission is great for missionaries, but it's not just given to missionaries. It's given to every single believer in Jesus Christ. Men and women, whether you are 8 years old or 80 years old, you are called to make disciples. You are called to tell other people what Jesus has done for you and to help them follow Jesus as you follow Jesus. To say to them what Paul said to the church in Corinth, follow me as I follow Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we're called to do that in whatever setting we're in. If you're a mother wonderful, you've got a captive audience for discipleship and a responsibility to do it. If you're a dad, we're going to celebrate you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Great. Guess what? You have primary responsibility to disciple those kids. To open the Word of God with them. To pray with them. To help them understand life. And to point them to how to live life in walking with Jesus. If you go to a job every day, 
wonderful. You've got people who don't know Jesus that you probably work with. Look around. The field is white for harvest. If if you are fortunate enough to be retired, guess what you've got? Abundant free time! To do nothing but make disciples. To go invite your friends and neighbors and family members to Bible study with you that you can share the Gospel with them. Wherever you are. And you're like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Bible study leader. I'm not a missionary. You know what? No, you're not. You're a Christian. Never you're called. And you're given the Holy Spirit and therefore equipped to do that very thing. All you got to do is point people to what you do. Well, this is what I do when I walk with Jesus. Do that. Um, in addition to that, uh, another one for your wartime prayer list. Pray for deliverance from evil. That's verses 2 and 3. Um, pray for deliverance from evil. If this reminds you of the Lord's Prayer, it's good. It's supposed to. Uh, when you're at war, you need armor. You need protection from those who are determined to take you out. Paul tells the Thessalonians in verse 2 to pray for, first of all for deliverance from wicked and evil men. And he explains that not all have faith. In other words, just because God will answer the prayer that His Word go ahead of you and be well received by some does not mean that God will make His, His Gospel well received by everybody. Some people, I know this is not a popular notion, some people are wicked and evil. They are. They wish you harm. And sometimes they will succeed in harming you. By the way, you don't have to look hard in Paul's life for experience with this. He and Silas had particular experience with that very thing. How did they wind up in Thessalonica? Well, because they started out in Philippi, and then there was a riot, and then Paul and Silas were publicly flogged, and then they spent the night in prison before they were thrown out of town. About three weeks later, they wind up in Thessalonica, and there's another riot, and they get thrown out of town. That's why they're writing letters instead of teaching them in person. Right? There are wicked and evil people who sometimes wish you harm, and that makes it clear that praying for God's protection against evil men does not mean that nothing bad will ever happen. But praying for it does help you remember the truth of verse 3, that the Lord is faithful even when evil men rebel against Him. And the Lord's faithfulness to us means that He will give us strength to stand and protection from the evil one, meaning Satan. The chief danger that we face, after all, is not that evil men might hurt us, but that we might stop pursuing our mission when it gets hard due to opposition. Or that we might give in to Satan's temptation to indulge in sinful pleasure instead for precisely the same reason. Right? This is tough. I don't like standing out. The nail that sticks up gets pounded down, and I feel like I've gotten pounded down a lot recently. How, how, how am I going to keep going? In this, you pray for the Lord's protection and you remember that He is faithful to you. And because He is faithful to you, that you're called to be faithful to Him. If you give in 
to discouragement and give up. If you give in to sin because it's hard and floating along with the rest of the culture is easier, both of those things are deadly to your soul. And both risk tangling you up in sin from which it is difficult to escape. The Lord is faithful, but we need Him to establish us and protect us. Amen. So add to your wartime prayer list something like this. Father, I am surrounded by evil men who reject your gospel and oppose its spread. Protect me from becoming discouraged and defeated by their opposition. Protect me from going along with Satan's temptation to sin and fitting in with an evil culture. Help me instead to be rooted and established in Christ and remember His faithfulness to me. Verse 4 gives us a third quiver, I mean, third arrow in our quiver, third prayer for our wartime prayer list, and that is growth in spiritual maturity. In context, Paul just in verse uh, 4 is just giving encouragement that these, he says, like, I know that you believers are doing, uh, continue to do what I've told you to do, that I've given you God's word, and you are doing it, and you're going to continue to do it. But that from the Lord is based on the fact that the Thessalonians have been putting the commands of Scripture into practice for a while already, and they have been doing so under intense persecution. And so Paul's reasoning is essentially this. If you are willing to obey Jesus when the price is high, I know that you will obey Jesus when the cost drops. And you will follow Him with the rest of your life. But Paul encourages them to keep going because spiritual maturity, men and women, is basically this. It's a long obedience to Jesus for a lifetime. Following Him for the rest of your life. And doing that will require His strength and not yours. If you try to live as a Christian by your own power, you will fall into sin. And if you fall hard enough, it will hinder your ability to accomplish the mission that God gave you to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. So this is something to pray for. And can I just tell you, this is the thing that I pray for most of all in my own life. For spiritual maturity. Because I want to be found faithful at the end. I want to hear as I stand before the King, well done, you good and faithful servant. If I don't hear that, I will have wasted my life. But we are in a battle and it is hard to be faithful for a lifetime. So add something like this to your wartime prayer list. Lord, Help me do the things that you command that I might be faithful in putting off sin and putting on the character of Jesus Christ. Help me, Father, to do it today and tomorrow and every day until you call me home that my life would underline the truth of your gospel. Amen? And the last one ties beautifully in with that. It's in verse 5. It's Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians' persevering love. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts 
to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. It is a prayer for God to shape our motives. Now, by nature, I'm kind of a task-oriented guy. At the beginning of the week, when I get in the office here, you know what I do? I have a, this is going to sound uber nerdy to a bunch of you, I know. But I have a little post-it note pad. They're the longer ones, you know, and they have lines on them. And I write at the top, and I write my list of everything i got to get done this week, right? And I take great delight in taking a Sharpie marker and crossing stuff off of that list, right? I love it. Uh, I know it's nerdy, but forgive me. Um, I'm a task-oriented guy. And it's easy for me to think, about, to, to think about my spiritual life that way. Well, God has given me a list of things to do, and so I need to get busy doing that. Amen? But that is not exactly the way that the Lord looks at our relationship with Him. It's not that we don't have commands to obey. We do. But why we do them matters a lot to the Lord. There's a huge difference from God's perspective in doing what He commands out of duty and doing it because you love Him in response to His love for you. Let me give you an illustration. Those of you ladies who are married, how many of you if your husband was to bring home a beautiful bouquet of, let's say, a dozen roses, would be overwhelmed with, with passionate affection for your husband if when you said, oh honey, they're beautiful, if he said, well, you know, it's my duty as your husband. Yeah, okay. Uh, how about this? Okay, how about those of you who, um, who uh, are married, you men, you want your wife to kiss you with passion, not efficiency. Amen? You feel me? There's a difference between those things. In fact, there's a world of difference between those things. Because when, when you get gentlemen, efficiency rather than passion. Or ladies, when you get dutiful flowers, which is an oxymoron if I've ever heard of one, um, what they're communicating is this, you do not stir my heart enough to respond to you with genuine affection. So they don't honor your mate, they dishonor them. Amen? And in the same way, God wants our hearts, not just our heads. He wants not just task-oriented obedience, but the response of love, of love that obeys because of His love for you. In other words, not just because it is the right thing to do, but because I want to because I love Him. You feel me on the difference? So Paul says here, he prays that the Thessalonians would have their hearts directed to the love of God. In other words, that they might know God's love in their guts and really feel it. 
And the steadfastness of Christ is not some different thing, but a different way of talking about the same thing. In the Old Testament, there's this beautiful Hebrew word. It's the word hesed. And it's the word that gets translated in your Bible over and over. It's appeared hundreds and hundreds of times as God's steadfast love. How many of y'all ever sung this song? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's God's hesed. His steadfast love. In other words, the love that endures through thick and thin. The, the covenant, faithful, loyal love that is there come hell or high water for you. Okay? God loves you like that. He loves you fiercely through every, through every storm. He loves you madly, passionately, fiercely, steadfastly all the way home. And the idea here is this, is that He has made a covenant with you through faith in Christ who died for your sins and rose to give you eternal life. He loves you and has revealed His steadfastness for you in Christ. And therefore, He's praying that you might know and experience God's steadfast love for you in such a way that you have steadfast love for Him in return. Amen? So add this final prayer to your wartime prayer list. Father, help me to understand your love for me and how steadfast Christ is in saving me forever by his death and resurrection. Help me to know it in my heart so that it moves my heart to the same love for you that my obedience to you would not be just duty, but joyfully loving to please you every moment of every day until I see you face to face. That's my prayer. That's the one I wrote in my office in response to this text. You might want to use slightly different words. But love is at the center of God's salvation plan. Love is at the center of His relationship with you and He wants your love to be at the center of your relationship with Him. And so Paul prays this blessing. Now may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Because at the back of everything that God is doing is that. Is His love for you, demonstrated in the steadfastness of Christ. Now, hopefully, I've given you plenty of ways to apply this text to your life, but just to reinforce my point, you are in a spiritual battle. It is unseen. You will not see demons around you, I don't think. I've only ever been involved in casting out a demon one time in my life. It probably doesn't break into your life very often either. But the war is all around you. And prayers for small things will not do. We need to pray big prayers 
for God to do big things. And these are four of them. Here's how you pray when you're living in wartime. Pray for conversions to Christ. The advance of the gospel through your lips and your life. Pray for deliverance from evil. Pray for growth in spiritual maturity and pray for persevering love. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that the great captain of our host, the great king of our salvation, goes before us in all these things and empowers them by Your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank You that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us and that You will not leave us to be victims of the enemy, but we can come to You at any point, at any time, and seek Your face. Father, we pray that You would help us to seek You and to follow You with everything that we have in our in Jesus' name, amen. And if you'd stand as we sing.